The technology landscape is exploding, and it has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's so much information out there, it can be hard to know where to start or who to trust. Your host, David Paul, is a seasoned venture capital investor that has founded his own investment firm, DWP Capital. He's a straight shooter that cuts through all the noise to bring you real and authentic conversations with investors, founders, and operators in the startup ecosystem. Join him each week to stay current with today's trends and get smarter about startups and tech investing. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to founders, entrepreneurs, investors, and operators about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am talking to Jim Prendergast, who was the founder and CEO of Healthiest You, which was a Phoenix-based healthcare tech company that sold to Teladoc for $125 million. Today, he is an active investor and board member to some of the great companies such as Diaper, Coplex, and now Clever Health. He invests through his own family office, which is called 317 Ventures. Jim focuses primarily on healthcare IT, consumer, and wellness and employee benefits. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me on. I know, absolutely. So, why don't we just start? Let's get a let's get a you know uh, the, the the high level, low level, medium level of you know who Jim Prendergast is and your your story you know within within technology and healthcare. Well, that's a that's a broad question. that's a broad question. A very... You can go any direction you want with that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at the at the heart of the thing, I'm I'm really just a. Uh, a Nebraska boy, to be honest with you. And I, I, I say that and it's pertinent because it's uh, the way I do business and the way I interact with the world and people really comes from just very small, humble roots in the Midwest. Um, uh, that plays out in, in business by being very lean, uh, which, is, which is why I was probably so attracted to the Coplex venture model, uh, which was lean startup type of model. Um, don't know you know, really the ways of, of Silicon Valley of, you know, VC money. And uh, I've never had tens and tens of millions of dollars at my disposal early on uh, that, that I could blow if I, if I wanted to or if I uh, accidentally did. So, you know, I would just say I, I do come from a very lean startup approach. Um, it's really a, a very people-centered approach. Uh, good people equal good company. And uh, really, kind of stumbled into stumbled into both healthcare, stumbled into through benefits and insurance type of uh, companies. Um, you know, I've built and sold multiple companies. Uh, clearly, Healthy Issue being the the best and largest, and, and the last one we did. And I think I've been able to learn along the lines um, of you know how to really how to really do business, how to move people, how to bring a product to market. And I've done that strictly through failures. And I think. Uh, for for so many of the founders out there, uh, I, I mentor today, and I think the one thing that I, I can really help them understand is that failure is the only path to success. And uh, you know, investors, when you and I are investing, we don't want to hear that. Uh, but <laughs> it's the perseverance and the learnings through those failures that I think have enabled me to continue to to grow, and as, as well as to help other companies. Yeah. Um, I, I had somebody on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and they said something that a startup founder's job is to go from plan A to the plan that works without destroying the company. And you, uh, that's excellent. <laughs> you can't get to the plan that works yeah. until you start plan A, right? Yeah. And I have a, you know, I have a definition of business, which is business is the art of taking a, a, uh, a product to market, right? Uh, knowing that absolutely everyone and everything is going to, is going to, uh, get in your way. Right. That uh, the art is really an understanding that people will fail, uh, products will fail, and it's the anticipation of that failure and the proactive nature and and uh, keeping that from killing your company. Right. That's really the act of business. I, when people say, you know, when I, when my business gets to here, it's going to be a lot easier. I laugh and and say, no, it's it's that's not business. That's fantasy land. Um, <laughs> You know, bigger, bigger revenues, bigger problems, more people, more problems, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but those are all paths you have to take to get to, you know, the promised land. Mm -hmm. And the promised land is the eventual exit, if that's what you define success as. Right, right. Or lifestyle or whatever it is we, we in entrepreneurs kid ourselves about to think that that's the... That's the holy grail of what we're searching for, right? Right. And then you're a really great example of that is once you do hit the promised land... 
you know, of a great exit, you know, healthiest you being a very successful exit. You know, you sit around and you kind of just twiddle your thumbs a little bit and you're like, okay, what else am I going to do? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it, you know, I laugh when people say I'm taking two months off or six months or a year. Um, <clears throat> and you don't, you literally don't take, I was on a plane in 10 days. Uh, I didn't want to be, but I had an idea. Mm-hmm. I picked up the phone. It kind of came together and I flew 10 days later to try to make something new happen. And my wife looked at me and said, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I'm going, baby. Oops. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. Being an operator, being a founder, there is no greater way to, to generate, um, you know, insane amount of wealth. You know, I mean, you can do really well being an investor. You know, you can, you know, diversify. You can, you know, have a portfolio effect where if something doesn't work, something else will. Um, but it doesn't doesn't pale into comparison to the amount of 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 uh, generational wealth and and um and and value you can bring as actually being the founder but with that comes a ton more risk and a ton more work oh without a doubt and it's but to your point i've never made you know any significant mother in investing i have over two dozen investments and i'm still waiting for checks right? <laughs> yeah. and yet when you invest in yourself uh not only returns infinite mm-hmm. uh, maybe not in money always right but certainly in growth and in and in satisfaction and lifestyle whatever it is you're after investing in yourself is is really the only way to true i think true wealth yeah well, yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. So, yeah, and I know a lot of operators turn investors. They eventually just get bored, right? Yeah. Well, you know, for me, um, I enjoyed the process. But what I learned about myself uh, was, number one, I'm way too optimistic. Because I was able to pull it off, I kind of assume everyone else can too. Right. Uh, number two, I thought they would take my advice, mm-hmm. and they don't. <laughs> nope. uh, and and nor, nor should they, I guess. Yeah. I guess we all have our path, and we have to learn. I had to learn the hard way as well. Uh, and so I, I think I really just got sick of, of meeting and talking to people and trying to show them um, better ways and the same results happening without change. And I think I just got to the point where I realized I don't have that power. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can write them a check. And as much as they say, oh, I want you on the board or I want to, right. what they really mean is I want your check. Yeah, I want smart money. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, whenever they say to me, like, hey, I really want smart money, I'm like, well, you called the wrong guy, man. Yeah, like, I'm exactly. going to add so little value yeah. to your company. Right. right. You know, I'm actually like, like pull value away from you. Right. right? But, Even if you try. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if I yeah. try. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit about Healthiest You, the value prop behind there, and then how you turn that into a scaled business in healthcare. And would you consider that a healthcare IT company, or would you consider that kind of like a consumer wellness company? You know, it was, it, it was both, really. Um, through healthcare IT, we were able to do something that the industry was lacking, which was in, engage consumers. You know, there's, there's absolutely no shortage of healthcare innovation. People think that healthcare needs innovation. It absolutely doesn't. It's amazing the amount of tech that's deployed in healthcare. In healthcare, it's it's futuristic. Um, people's heads would spin if they saw the things uh, that I've seen, uh, you know, in the in the innovation labs at, at United Healthcare. So there's no shortage of money and innovation. There's no shortage of brain power. There's a shortage of engagement. There is a lack of alignment between new innovation being pushed down through our physicians and our practices and our hospitals to the patient. And so we end up with the same old, same old, and the innovation sits on a shelf. And so what, what Healthy SU really was, was taking this, you know, I always tell people, like, I, I've never had an original idea in my life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I have a unique way of looking at at current businesses and how they could do things the exact opposite, right? And so, you know, virtual care was one of those pain points. I had very, very young kids. Um, we were in a, I invested, I, I had a, a buddy of mine say this company called Teladoc is the future. I had just sold a, a company in 2007 and was looking for ways to, to throw my money away. And <laughs> Teladoc was doing a private placement. I was very intrigued because I had just come from the ER uh, a couple nights earlier with my son and he was a little baby had a high fever no reason to go in my mind but my wife was kind of feeling that way so mm-hmm. at midnight we're sitting there and uh the physician really didn't do anything other than say i'm sorry he's got a fever mm-hmm. right he's gonna <laughs> be fine all. Yeah. right and the bill was 1600 bucks yeah and so when this this 
virtual care platform, you know, called Teladoc was pitched to me. I thought, this is, this is brilliant. This is the future. Um, and I was at that point, uh, my first small retirement, I had just sold a company and was, was helping them transition. Uh, and I decided that maybe I wanted to get, get into this. But what I, what I quickly found was um, that the industry was, was a good idea, but it really lacked in connecting to consumers and patients and making a difference. It was really a product that was buried. I called it a glorified nurse hotline. Yeah. Right. It was it was on page 87 of your health plan uh -huh. uh, that nobody ever read and it was never used. Um, it was very inexpensive uh, built into the health plan and it didn't make a difference. I I knew it could make a difference in my family. And so what we but did nobody is, knew about it. Nobody knew about it. Yeah. And so the idea was, is how do you get people to, to know about it? And so we use tech um, uh, engaging technology to create a to create a, an app slash ecosystem that people would go there for a lot of different reasons, uh, but every time they would, they would see that they had one click of a button access to a physician twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and at the end of the day, that's ultimately what worked. It wasn't the product, it wasn't the the tech, it was the ability right to c connect the tech, to connect the product to the patient, and ultimately get them to use it. Right. And mobile, I mean, was, you know, a, a huge driver in that. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And that was Healthiest You or that was Teladoc? That was Healthiest You. Okay. Yeah. And ultimately we sold to Teladoc. Sure. So, and then yeah. what was Teladoc doing at the time? Were they doing you know, something same, similar? Yeah, they're just similar. But like, um, so the, the real difference with Healthiest You was, um, tel I, I actually had a partnership with Teladoc. And it was a very frustrating partnership because... They had created, um, you know, what would be called a low utilization model. They knew people wouldn't use it, and so when you would go out and you would you would connect. At the time, we were building software to connect uh, benefits to uh, brokers, agents, healthcare consultants, so that they could uh, distribute more more of the the new benefits out there. And so, in that process, um, we brought on a, a lot of lives for Teladoc at the time. And what we had learned was people weren't using the product. And if you're not using a product, how long do you keep the product? Uh, but more importantly, it just, it wasn't making a difference that we were promising because nobody knew about it. Mm -hmm. So we branched off, I branched off uh, with uh, a partner of mine and started Healthy Issue with the idea that we're going to completely change the model. Uh, instead of being a low utilization product, we're going to be high. We were going to charge, I think at the time, maybe Teladoc was in that 50 to 60 cents a month per person. We charged at the time $30 a month. Um, the idea being the money would go towards engagement. The money would go towards doctors because we're actually going to be using them. Mm -hmm. And then we built tech around that to, um, to drive engagement. And it worked. Mm -hmm. And we ended up, you know, obviously we weren't at $30 anymore. I think we ended up, by the time I sold our average per employee per month was around $4, but mm -hmm. you know, it's always easier to come down than it is to go back up. So you sold to employee benefits. We did. Okay. Yep. So that was, so it was, it was a, a consumer type application, but you had a B2B to C type approach. Absolutely. And you know, you just kind of hit on a, a philosophy that we have that I've always had, which is um, corporate buyers are consumers. And so instead of pitching them, corporate pitches, pitch them the consumer version, pitch them the, how the tech can change their life. And when they see that, they start asking questions about, okay, how can this, where's the ROI? Right, here, you know? right. Okay. And so we really had a philosophy of the, the financial docs, the ROI, all that, that stuff that we, we get so excited about when we do corporate proposals, we put as an addendum. Mm -hmm. And we made the entire pitch you're no longer supposed to talk about how it can help the company. It's all about how does it help you. Yeah, and so, emotionally connect them. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so, you know, CFOs who were making these decisions or the heads of the of benefits were making decisions, they could see how this, this could work for their, them and their family. And it was natural for them to say, okay, what does it cost? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's, let's talk about the financial side of this. And, and, of course, it can be, you know, virtual care can be, a very, very powerful tool financially for both consumers and employer groups. Mm -hmm. And then now, I mean, at the time, how much were, at the time, how much were, like, what would you say the percentage of big enterprise corporations had this type of benefit? 
for their for their well, people. When I started, um, literally a handful of large enterprise clients had it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a handful. Uh, within two to three years, surveys started coming out uh, as people started accepting. You know, in the beginning, it was uh, is this legal, and in some states, it it wasn't. Uh, we had quite the battles with medical associations and states. Um, and uh, are these doctors, are they from India? Are they, mm-hmm. you know, foreign doctors? Are they good qualified doctors? They board certified. Uh, exactly. So, you know, that was a, a fight that we, Teladoc, was, was really heading that fight up. Uh, they had already spent years in the marketplace, but it was still a really difficult sale at the time. About two to three years after uh, we were launched from Healthiest You, you started seeing a trend where people started accepting, okay, this works, right? Uh, liability is, is greatly reduced. Uh, these are American doctors. They're mm-hmm. qualified doctors. Uh, um, there were studies showing outcomes. That they're American Indian doctors. They're exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, the results, the efficacy was, was equal to going to see the doctors. So once that started happening, uh, reports were coming out saying that the vast majority of corporate corporations surveyed said they will be adopting a, a telehealth strategy in the next year to two years, right? Now I would have to say, uh, I, would, I would guess it's well over 90% of large organizations have a telehealth product, if not even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, still, um, it's still a challenge to connect the, the consumer to it. So saying you have it, you know, United Healthcare's the the blues, you know, what we call the bucas, right? Uh, they have now adopted it, and they've now put them in their plans, but that's not being communicated. Um, it's not connecting to the patients. And so if you don't even know it's there, if you're a new employee, you, you would have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. And so utilization, despite the pandemic, is still uh, a challenge in the space. Yeah, and um, is that... so? A couple questions I want to unpack here. So how did you think about, I know you said your pricing was lower than Teladoc's. Was there any- Ours was higher. Yours was higher higher. than Teladoc's. Much, much higher. What was the, how did you tie in insurance with that or did you? No, we absolutely did. So uh, the idea that we first launched with was, um, you know, back with ACA, it was very popular at the time. It was, how do you turn a bronze plan into gold, Mm -hmm. right? And so we set out to connect, you know, there's, there's every company that, that I have started and every uh, tech platform I'm involved in, there's one mantra for me, and that is that you must build the tech with the distribution in mind, right? Um, too often I see software being built to solve a problem, and then when you go to find the distribution, uh, you have channel conflict. And so for us, it was about how do we build a product that can make the, the current distribution channels more money, let's be honest. Uh, how can it make them look better? And how can we help them earn more clients? And so we went to the broker network, the agent network, healthcare consultants, and we said, hey, if you use virtual care the right way, if it actually got used, right? then deductibles can be much higher. Um, Co-pays can be much higher. In other words, you can create a solution for your customers or for new prospects that is no longer a 16 to 22% raise every year in premiums, but actually a reduction in premiums. And so we partner with organizations. uh, You know, Transamerica was a good partner, and they have a gap insurance plan. So we were able to say, why don't we raise deductibles on health plans, put in a gap insurance plan to cover the, some of that deductible. Let's add health issue for the upfront uh, telehealth because about at the time it was, I think the number was 76% of all doctor visits could be handled safe and effectively over the phone or video. And uh, now all of a sudden we have a plan that A, patients and consumers like better because they don't have to go to the doctor for the, the routine things. Um, the the broker could make money, right? They make money on Healthy SU. They made money on the gap insurance plan. They make money on the insurance plan. And the employer groups win because the premiums are lower. Mm-hmm. And so you have a win, win, win. And uh, that's what we created. And we just started pounding the table loud and clear about that. Uh, that started to work. Uh, and, it, and at one point, we had a tipping point where 
Um, we had well over 10,000 employer groups and um, over 10,000 agents selling our product, uh, and it really worked. And, um, you know, so I'm thinking about, you know, all our early stage companies when we have somebody that, you know, is trying to set up a company corporate plan, right, health plan, you know, we send somebody in there, generally it's kind of, you know, uh, it's hit or miss on, you know, how how much the person actually knows about the plan aside from price, right, as what's it actually included. So how did you, you know, get your channel sales to effectively work? Because your goal was high utilization. So you actually had to rely upon the insurance plan and or the, the agents of that insurance plan or, you know, agents that had that insurance plan along with other insurance plans that they were offering to sell your product. Yeah, if I'm understanding your question, um, one of the important things we did, knowing, you know, knowing the, the, the promoter score of healthcare, right? It's a very low, yeah. <laughs> low scoring industry. Um, it was important for us to not be buried in the health plan. It was important for us. So when we partnered with United Healthcare, one of the rules we had with United was we don't go out in your, your pamphlets and your brochures, right? We have to be the guys. At uh, one time, we, we got a URL called stickittotheman.com, right? And the idea <laughs> was we were, we were going to be the, the savior uh, from your health plan, right? And so we, we made sure that, uh, you know, one of the, the real keys, because we were not a low utilization model, we priced this to be used. We spent a lot of time and money building a, a client success department. In other words, these were people that daily, and we built software uh, that tracked every single piece of utilization. Uh, we had heat maps on where that was coming from, what were the ICD-10 codes. Um, and our, our success team would be reaching out constantly to get more utilization. We would run webinars constantly uh, and buy pizzas for organizations to say, hey, get everybody together and we'll buy you food, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, we did an API with Domino's once and we would send out to all these organizations and we'd send them a landing page and they could select a time for a webinar and said, let healthiest you buy your last unhealthy meal, right? <laughs> and they would order a number like of pizzas and it was all through our API with Domino's and we would do webinars. Mm-hmm. The idea was, is let's, let's take money that, that we were charging, you know, the, the per employee per month fee that we were so much more than, than our competition. And let's actually use that to drive engagement. Because that engagement then would save the company an infinite amount more money than they were paying us in PEPMs. That was the whole premise. And at the time, we were the only ones doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially you sold through the channel, the healthcare network channels, the insurers, the payers, but you relied on your own marketing initiatives That's to right. drive adoption. Absolutely. Because you would be just like everybody else if you were just shoved into the health plan. Absolutely. And was there any friction with that, with the, with the health plan? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, at one point in time, we got a threatening letter from United, our, our strongest partner at the time, <laughs> uh, because they, they felt our, um, our marketing was a little too risque, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but we wanted to be the fun guys in healthcare. Yeah. We wanted to be different. And we became that. People knew, oh, this healthy issue, they're funny, they're cheeky, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, we weren't making fun of people's illness, we were making fun of the industry, right? right? And how, you know, old school it was. And, um, you know, I had a rule, absolutely no pictures of a doctor, none. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to be that company, right. right? And so, you know, all of that took time, and we did get pushback. I mean, we... You know, the, the healthcare world, especially in the agency side, was, you know, does have a lot of aging professionals, mm-hmm. and not all of them enjoyed um, a, a new, fresh look that, that we, we did. So um, there was a lot of pushback, but there was also a lot of adoption, you know, and I, I think ultimately uh, we were able to prove that, that the engagement worked and that consumers liked how we were doing things. Mm-hmm. And that's what won, you know, to be honest with you, that's how we sold. Uh, we we won three RFPs against Teladoc at a considerably higher price, mm-hmm. and I knew after the third one it was a special client of theirs. I knew we'd be getting a call, and, mm-hmm. and we did. Um, and they basically said, "There's you know there's something here." And the only way we won that is saying, "Listen, we know we're going to be five times the price, mm-hmm. but we're going to give you twenty times the results." Mm-hmm. And uh, we started winning business that way, and that's that's why we ultimately ended up selling. And would there be situations where the plan would include both of you guys or, or you, you know, did you have to like battle 
um, you know, like yes. how, how, how is the a la carte, like how, how were you positioned as far as there's only a certain number of healthcare payers, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah, certainly. So, so there's, uh, definitely been overlap and still is to this day where you have a, a teledoc type product embedded in the health plan and mm-hmm. it is just part of it. And then you have a company like HealthySU coming and saying, pay an additional fee and have us, mm-hmm. right? And the arguments that we would, you know, that we would win most in was that nobody's using this over here. We have an engaging app mm-hmm. and a way with which we do it. And so, well, you know, we became HealthySU. Becoming HealthySU was really, we, we acquired a company. I met a wonderful, uh, a wonderful doctor um, in the Silicon Valley, and she had worked with Google, and she'd worked with Apple, and um, a, a renowned author, uh, and she developed a, a platform of wellness that got smarter with use called HealthySU. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually called, I think, MD Health Evolution in the beginning. And uh, her and I met on stage speaking at the same conference. We really hit it off. And when she went to sell that platform, she wanted to sell it to me. And her thought was, I'd rather sell it to you and, and be a partner with you than sell it off to some random, mm-hmm. you know, random group. And so uh, we flew out there on a moment's notice. Uh, we, acquired, we acquired the platform. And the idea was, if, if you know, and our surveys showed over and over and over that these teledocs, these, these MD lives and all these incumbents, large incumbents, their utilization suffers, which means their, their entire worth, in my opinion, suffers, right? Uh, because of a lack of utilization, a lack of no. And if our survey showed that when people were sick, they would never try something new, mm-hmm. right? And so then if, if a product is there only for you when you're sick, and you don't think about it, right? You don't want to go download a new app. You don't want to go look in your manual to find out what was that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we did was we acquired Healthy Issue. We, we, we took the app, integrated it in the app, and now we started pushing notifications about uh, smoking, weight loss, uh, diabetes control, nutrition, exercise. Um, we integrated trackers so that you could get your health score and you could see how many steps you had. and um, that whole ecosystem of, of come to us for all things healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. And in doing that, every single time we remind you, you know, of who we were and we were here for you if you were sick. We were here for you if you had a question of the doctor. Um, and that's, that's really what helped. That coupled with our customer success, our client success network um, is, is where, you know, we were able to drive that engagement. That's awesome. And then, so you won three RFPs against Teladoc. They're, you're making a, spa, a splash in the space. Your marketing is catching everyone's attention. They submit an offer to you. Tell me a little bit about that process and then negotiating a deal and then the following in the acquisition, you know, you working thereafter, I'm sure, for a period of time and how that looked. Yeah. Um, you know, we had just come off uh, in, in the November of 15, 2015. We had just closed a $33 million round uh, with Frontier Capital, growth capital out of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And so we were now fully funded. Um, <clears throat> and I had made a comment to the managing partner and said, uh, when, you know, when Teladoc reads this, um, they're, they're gonna, their eyes are going to you know, perk up. A um, couple weeks later, we won the RFPs. <clears throat> and uh, I made another comment. And sure enough... Um, a gentleman from the BD department at Teladoc called, good, really good guy, um, gave me a ring and said, uh, I need your help. I missed this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so in January of that year, they flew out. We sat down. Um, I think the number we threw at them scared you know, the hell out of them. So we thought there's probably no, um, no urgency there on either side. Right? I, I was now flush with cash. We had great momentum. Um, so there really wasn't. And, um, you know, we, we make a lot of fun of PE firms, but I'll tell you, my, at the time, um, Frontier Growth did a really good job of stepping in and, um, and taking over those talks and just having a dialogue. And, and it took a couple months, but I think we got, we got to a number everybody was, was comfortable with. Um, <clears throat> our number was 200. And um, 
So what really ended up happening was uh, that the stock was curbed. And uh, ultimately, I think the number was right around 162 is how, what we ended up with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I can tell you right there, Frontier earned their money just in, the, in those types of uh, strategic negotiations because, you know, if you'd have told me 125, I'd have taken it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, uh, and, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, there's nothing I do that I want to do forever, right, mm-hmm. in terms of business. So, um, you know, there was a good, there was a good fit. Uh, you know, Teladoc didn't have the broker market the way we did, uh, didn't have the engagement the way we did, um, and they didn't have the margin. We had we had good margins, so it, it made sense to them at the time. They had the currency, and and we did the deal. Um, when we left, uh, when when we closed, the idea was my whole passion was was simply the innovation side. That's all I really care about. Before yeah, before we go on to that, because I think it's important. So you raised the frontier round within a year of. We the, closed on November twelfth, and we uh, of of November fifteen, and sold in July of sixteen. Okay, so really close together. Yeah. So Frontier had probably the most to lose because they paid for future growth of the company by putting cash onto the balance sheet. So how did you work through that? I mean, they did all the work and trying to you know fund the deal. And- yeah, you know, it turned out for them, uh, and they would have to to tell you this, but at one point in time, I was announced at their conference that it was the highest uh, uh, ROI they've had in their company. So, <laughs> From an IRR perspective. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, I, I think they were looking at it as just, you know, time and uh, time on the money, right? And, right. Um, no, they were, they were very, very, very So they didn't try to block it. the sale or... Absolutely yeah, not. They, they, were, they were really good partners with that. Really good partners with that. They didn't yeah. say we need to, you know, renegotiate so we get more out of this. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's fantastic. No, they did a great job. And because of the growth of the stock in Teladoc and how it all worked out, mm-hmm. um, they did even better than they thought. Oh, wow. Yeah, we okay. all did. We okay. Because you had to roll some as well. Yes. 30%. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Yep. And, uh, you know, the stock, you know, I, I'd like to think maybe the stock took off uh, when they, but the day they, they announced it, it went from about 11 bucks to 16. Nice. <clears throat> and uh, I would say a bunch of us uh, probably from that moment on started selling as it kept moving up. And um, unfortunately, I think I was out at a, uh, I think my average was in the 2550 range. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the pandemic, they were at 325 So, <laughs> you know, left a little money on the table there. But uh, I think they're back down trading in about mid-70s right now, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think there was a big pull forward with COVID. And, yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, maybe we got a little bit more adoption, you know, because people are used to yep. it. But um, I think a lot of these companies that, you know, were, you know, thinking that this was just going to be the new normal, right, are going to be disappointed. Right. That, that's the truth. That's exactly what's happening. It's coming back. Mm-hmm. Yep. So tell me, uh, tell me about you know your you know working at at Teladoc and then and then um, you're deciding to leave and then starting uh, Clever Health. Yeah, you know I laugh, but I I really didn't work at Teladoc. Um, the idea was I'd be chief of innovation. We had multiple initiatives that we were very very proud of. Matter of fact, Teladoc just came out with uh, an announcement that they've integrated with Alexa. Uh, and Alexa is an integration we did uh, and, and demoed for them um, at one of our meetings prior to selling. And so those were the types of things, integrating into more modalities, more ways to make it easier. Uh, we wanted to integrate with, with uh, OnStar, so we were in that oh, process. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we created what we called Couch Care, which was we integrated in the, um, the, the Kindle Fire Sticks in Roku so that you know, our, our pitch there was uh, finally a smart TV that can do something more than stream Netflix, right? The idea was a three-way experience where you could use your phone to shoot up uh, images of your child or you or your throat and onto the screen, and you could see your doctor on your smart TV, and you could share documents that way. And so that was, my, that was really my whole thing. I, I get bored fairly easy, um, and so... All I wanted to do was keep moving and keep innovating. And so we agreed that my, my title would be Chief of Innovation. Um, but very shortly after the sale, um, uh, the current CEO uh, came to me and said, I just want to let you know I don't, I don't really care about all that stuff. <laughs> and I said, hey, 
you uh, <laughs> so charming. Yeah, it's so yeah. charming. <laughs> yeah, um, just the, the charisma was off the chain yes. with this guy. Yeah. And but he was honest, right? Yeah. And and I said, listen, you you wrote a big check. You get to you get to decide. And so I knew right then I was a dead man walking. And, right. Um, and so. You know, there were also, you, you can't have too many alpha males in there. And, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly, uh, without without trying, um, you know, I, I'm blessed that, that people will follow me. And I had a very, very loyal following. And mm-hmm. uh, I think they knew and we all knew that this wasn't going to coexist. And so I stayed for my six months. Mm-hmm. And uh, literally the day of my six months, um, uh, I, I left the company. Mm-hmm. Some people just aren't meant to be employees you know i'm one of them i'm just unemployable yeah oh me too i i would fire me (laughs) within a second yes (laughs) i don't know any idiot that would actually hire me i don't think i could have a partner yeah you know i i i can but they have to be the right people and i've been lucky to have that Mm -hmm. yeah so tell me so then you stop and then tell me that the 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 genesis of clever health and kind of the the new era the 2.0 of virtual care yeah you know clever health is really just the last five years of, of telling anybody who calls and asks, you know how it is when they, you get on somebody's list of research. Uh, and so PE firms are looking to invest in healthcare and they're looking at virtual care. And over the years, I'll bet you I've had 50 calls with research firms. Um, mm-hmm. And I tell them the same story, which is, you know, virtual care is not done right. Um, there's not an alignment in the physician side. There, it's we're not using the right tech to deliver it efficiently. Um, uh, the efficacy could be a mo- much better, and, and none of that. I wouldn't say none of that, but some of that isn't the incumbent's fault. Um, you know, the states made it very clear early on that you cannot mandate how a physician practices, and so they every physician has to be able to do how they want to do it. There's no stick. There's no, exactly. Right. There's and, carrots, but there's no stick. That's right. And, and as you sit and you monitor calls over the years, you just laugh, but you also cry because, you know, somebody that's 65 years old is totally different than 28, but it's the same patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those things have kind of changed. There's now technology, there's AI decision support AI that, that is, has proven to be so much better than just an individual physician looking at a patient. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Clever Health is really just saying there's a lot of things wrong that I thought would be fixed by now that aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think I think the Teledocs of the world recognize that and they are like Teledocs trying to do things about it. You know, they're moving into spaces, right, to get away from just being a doctor on a phone. A mm-hmm. random doctor in another state, probably that's you know, mm-hmm. um, and they are they're working hard. I, I just think that's it's that typical, you know. They now they've now become you know the aircraft carrier, right? And so they're having trouble being, moving yeah. and and getting people to understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. And so with Clever Health, we really uh, our disruptions from a pricing mechanism, our disruptions from. Um, a technology, our disruptions from an experience. And so it's a very disruptive platform fixing everything. But at, the, at, at, you know, so I say it's really clever health is really two things. The first is fixing all what was wrong with telehealth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we deliver telehealth for pennies on the dollar, absolute pennies. We don't charge it per employee per month. We, right. It's a very low call fee. If you use it, you know, uh, you pay, right. Mm-hmm. And the employers pay. So um, we save an employer group, on average, ninety percent on their on their telehealth, but then we use technology to make it a better experience, and so we use asynchronous communication and technology. So our physicians spend on average thirteen seconds reviewing uh, the the AI decision support recommendation. They acknowledge what it works, and they they issue a prescription if necessary, or send back you know their their comments and notes and diagnosis. And so the physicians like it better because they're not spending eighteen minutes on a phone. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a better experience for both the consumer and a better experience for the for the physician. And so, we're, we're cheaper, we're better, uh, we're, we're significantly faster. But what the play really is is what I'm really saying is like virtual care is a commodity, <clears throat> and so it shouldn't be very very expensive. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so the technology isn't super complex. It's, it's really not. It's just video conferencing, correct? It, exactly. It, it, it's it's maybe some workflow IP. It's not uh, no. You're, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna blow you away with their stack, right? right. So um, let's just call it what it is. It's a commodity, and let's bring it down to the lowest 
price point we, we possibly can. Let's deliver it efficiently and faster and better. And but what what Clever's done now is I've been able to take um, tech from multiple investments I have and integrate it in there so that behind the scenes it's a smarter platform. Mm-hmm. And so really the idea is is that um, virtual care is a commodity. Everybody's got it. Everybody can use it. So let's not charge a lot, but let's look for opportunities using the data, using the experience. So when you come into Clever Health, we, we download your medical records. We see your claims history. Um, we, know, we know drugs you're taking. We know what you're paying. We know your, the patient responsibility. So we learn all this stuff about you, and we hit APIs that then make recommendations. But the idea is, yeah, sure, we'll take care of your sniffles and sneezes, right? But that to us is, you know, everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. But can we really help you with managing your, your medication risk? So um, we have, uh, you know, um, we have pharmacists uh, that you can call. So our, our APIs will recognize, did you, uh, is there a possible contraindication? Do you have multiple drugs that are in, you know, that maybe we should, have a conversation about uh, so we'll alert you and say hey listen we've noticed here there's a risk proactive and, measures absolutely um, we may see that you're on a drug uh, I think you know a few weeks ago we had one and and we noticed that the patient responsibility was 350 bucks somewhere mm-hmm. in that neighborhood and we have that drug for 17 bucks mm-hmm. so hey did you know we see here that you're taking this and you know we can help so it's just all about you know what I like I said we didn't create any of this in terms of uh, the APIs are out there and people are using them in different use cases right but everything you need to really learn about somebody's health where they're at today where they were and where they're projecting to go uh, that tech's all built it's very smart and so what we've really done is just put that together and then we use the virtual care as the way for you to come into our front door mm-hmm. and so. We engage you to come in, you come in, we now learn as much as we can about you, and we look for ways to help you. That's all that is. And what is the grand, the grand vision for Clever Health? I mean, it seems like it was something that was based on an idea, now you have a business, you've got revenue going through it. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's growing quite you know, a lot faster than I think we even anticipated, uh, but really because we're able to go in and the idea is, is let's go in and get a land grab of, of hey, we're going to save you 90% on your and and make the experience the same or better, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but really, what we're going to do is help you, you know, manage your population even better, and so on and so forth. So that that pitch has really worked. Um, back in the day, in, in when I sold Healthy Issue, my wife had found an email that I wrote in two thousand eight before I ever got involved with Healthy Issue or Teladoc. But I was looking at Teladoc, mm-hmm. and in that email, I sent to a handful of people, and I said. Someday, virtual care will be the gateway. So unless it's an emergency, everybody will go through an app. Mm-hmm. And that app will be so smart, it will know where to tell exactly what you should do based on price, convenience, and quality of care. Right? But to do that, you have to know a lot of different things. So you know, what, what we aspire to be is the smartest digital front door for anybody, any, any practice, any hospital, any uh, employer group, that if you've got a health issue, you go in and you tell the AI what's going on. Mm-hmm. It downloads everything about you it could possibly know, and it can direct you. It knows what time of day. It knows what health plan you have. It knows your deductibles. It knows your co-pays. It knows what's open and what's not. Um, it, it can make a decision about uh, the diagnosis more times than not. And I mean, the vast majority of times and direct you to say, you know, here's what we recommend. Almost like a, you know, hey, people in your situation, this is what they do. And, you know, 97% of the people did this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can compare, we can go to the marketplace and compare, this is what you need done. And here's your insurance, but we found it cheaper over here. These are all, this is all built. None of this is a pipe dream. It's all built. Um, We're just compiling it and integrating it into an app and an experience uh, to, to, you know, connect more people to it. At, at the end of the day, David, it's, it's this thing called consumerism of healthcare. People talk about it. It's been in every boardroom and, and, you know, for 20 years, mm-hmm. right. And it's happening. Um, but it's, it's happening slow. And I don't know when that tipping point will happen, but 
one by one, consumers are getting a little more savvy. Like, do I have to pay that for a drug? Right. Maybe not. I heard there's other places. Yeah. Like is the doctor really the smartest guy? That's right. right. It, can it, I get a second opinion? Yeah. Can I get a second opinion? Can, you know, I, I call people slaves to their insurance card, right? I mean, we walk up and we hand our insurance card and whatever the lottery tells us, that's what we pay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not the case anymore. Everything's getting more expensive. Um, we know that. And so, you know, inch by inch, consumers are getting more and more aware that, yeah. <coughs> Said another way, I had a, I had a good friend that that's knows more about healthcare than I'll ever I'll ever know. Um, say healthcare is not expensive, or health insurance is, right? And that's true. People are willing to do procedures. People are willing to do, you know, MRIs that are billed, you know, fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars in your health plan are one hundred and fifty bucks, right? If you go in and pay cash, mm-hmm. uh, so. You know, there's there's hundreds of those examples. And so to us, is like, how do we kind of give the power back to the consumer? How do we break the wheel? Yeah. Right? Because it's just so bloated. And the problem is, is to your point, there's just no incentive for healthcare systems. And I don't think that healthcare systems are super nefarious. I just don't think that they, they're just like this, you said this battleship that's just going and that like having to, and there's no, there's no stick to get them to change. And so they try to put these ACOs out, but I, I mean, I read somewhere that um, like the ACO adoption or the or accountable care adoption is like at like thirty percent right now. Are you seeing those types of numbers? Yeah, absolutely. And well, the thing's over ten years old. Yep. Right. So I mean, we're not talking about this upheaval of like you know this is what everyone wants. Right. right. <laughs> you know, like it's very much a right. trudge. Oh, it's it's you know the industry we have to you know understand that. Um, there's a lot of money. We, you know, we're a healthcare. We are a a uh, sick society. Let's put it that way. A tremendous amount of our the economy is is built around disease, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's cancer or diabetes, um, and so there's massive amounts of money, and it's it's really difficult to uncouple that, right? Uh, number one. Number two. You have people that are overwhelmed already. You have systems overwhelmed. You have physicians overwhelmed. How do you create new change with people overwhelmed just trying to get through day to day? Um, you know, there's, there's really, we, we have old laws. We have, you know, there's, right. there's so much that is. A lot of yarn to untangle. A, a ton, right? And where's the real incentive to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, the incentive is really only on the consumer side. <laughs> right. And they lack the power. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I do believe there's a lot of wonderful, great people trying to do these things. And, you know, that's it's why healthcare is a great industry to get in as an entrepreneur, because you're you know, if, if, if your idea is, is I'm going to change the world and, and, you know, meaning I'm going to change the entire system, I would probably tell you to, you know, have another drink and and, you know, quiet down. Um, although I, I believe that that's a great mission. Um, the truth is, is. Probably none of us are going to do it. It's going to have to take a whole lot of people a whole lot longer. But you can build a really, really good company that does impact a set number of lives uh, for the better and do well personally, mm-hmm. you know, without changing everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about your investing career right now. Give you an opportunity to pump your book a little bit. What companies are you excited about that you put some capital into? Well, you know, you mentioned diaper mm-hmm. earlier. Um, diaper is, is is really close to my heart for for a few reasons. Most notably, is um, the CEO was was a partner of mine at Healthy Issue. He's one of my closest friends. Uh, he's absolutely brilliant, probably the most talented, brilliant human being I, I've ever met, uh, let alone call a friend. I need to get Sergio on the show. You got to get Sergio on the show. Yeah. Uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. He's insane. He's right? insane uh, in all the right ways, <laughs> right. right? And maybe a few uh, not so right when we get together. But um, what he's done is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, he's, he, he, he's never come from consumer goods. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the company actually was uh, started out of one we funded together that he started called Stir, and it was, it was really a, a uh, data play for wellness. And, um, and that spun just, I think you said it earlier in the phone, it's how do you, how do you go from, you know, A to what pivot W right. <laughs> without crashing the company? And that's what he did. And he, um, <clears throat> through his own experiences and just, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a really fun story, uh, but I'll let him tell it. Uh, but somehow we started in nutrition 
And we ended up with the world's most eco-friendly diaper subscription program. Mm-hmm. We're diaper consumers. Yeah, you guys house. are. That's yeah. right. You yeah. are. You very much are. Mm-hmm. And so you better have diaper. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're um, just growing like a weed. Uh, you know, we, we have we have challenges right now that are really outside of his control. Supply and chain. Supply chain. Um, the inflation, uh, the cost of goods is, is really uh, outrageous. Sure. I mean, we're at all-time highs for plastics and different things that we do. So it's been a really challenging thing for him, and yet he keeps it keeps growing. Um, so he's done an absolutely phenomenal job with that. So diaper, I'm definitely excited about diaper. I'm, I, uh, um, gosh, I have so many of them. I, I, I couldn't even tell you um, other ones. Um, God, what what comes to mind? Um, you know, I, I finally got into, uh, I'll pump our, our restaurant a little bit. We opened a restaurant uh, nice. called The Craftsman in uh, North Scottsdale in the Greyhawk area. Okay. And that's been a lot of fun because I've owned restaurants, coffee shops, bars, but I don't know the business, right? I'm just a really good patron. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been a lot of fun because it's, it's been very, very well received. We distill our own liquors. So that, nice. that part's been fun. Like a micro, micro. Uh- yeah. My, my partner, it is a microbrewer. Yeah. Uh, that's his. And so we do that. Um, and, uh, but you know, I have, I have a lot of really good founders. I have a lot of really good uh, people. I have to tell you, you know, I, in summary, I'll just tell you, <clears throat> I made the mistake. I think a lot of, a lot of newly enriched people do uh, in our space. I wrote checks to everybody in the beginning mm-hmm. and I've really had to pull back. Um, I do think I'm going to get lucky. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of those checks, although they, they won't all return, uh, the majority of them were really, really good people that are that are doing a great job, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to get away with it. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Great to hear, Jim. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Love to have you again. You know, once uh, Clever Health blows up and unicorns. Yeah, well, yeah, that would be nice, yeah. but uh, I may not be sitting in that seat when that happens. <laughs> okay. So. Thank you, David. Absolutely. Everybody, thank you for calling or listening to the Capital Stack, where we talk to entrepreneurs, investors, tech operators about all things value creation and startups. Uh, If you like what you heard, please share, subscribe, leave a review. You can find us on all platforms, YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. And we drop an episode every Tuesday. Uh, Have a great one. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.